I love my mozzarella sticks. I was dreaming about them like two weeks before the Super Bowl. Oh, I can't wait to have mozzarella sticks. And then I stick them in my oven. Mozzarella sticks are supposed to take like seven minutes in an oven to make. Right. My oven's not working. But of course, on, it's on life support. It's on life support. You know, okay. I'm doing CPR on my oven okay. like once a week just yeah. to get it, get it to work. Right. We have to put it on like 475 just to get it at 350. So I, I put my mozzarella sticks in the oven. and You, after, had, them, you had them for dessert? Well, I pulled them out. <laughs> I could eat them for appetizer, dinner, and dessert. There we go. They're supposed to take seven minutes. They took 20. I was so upset. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. Episode 8. This is going to be fun. This is all about the beautiful blueprint that we've created. But now... Such a beautiful blueprint. The subterfuge, right? The <laughs> That's a good one. Come on. I had to throw it. I haven't had a word in a while. All about... We're going to start with one of our favorite concepts, which is resistance. Yeah. Resi what, what's going to screw up our blueprint? Where does this thing blow up? Because now it's pretty... And it's formed. You know, we know where all the corner puzzle pieces are. We got all big our barrels values, all filled. Our barrels are filled and our values, are, our principles are help supporting this thing and keeping it up. Come on. Where does it, what happens? What can go wrong here, Dad? Dun, 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 dun. Now, now you're talking. <laughs> yeah. Is I that mean, your ringtone? It is. I've got three ringtones that kind of offshoot on the whole dark side of the force. So yeah, this is the Darth Vader episode. This is the, you know, where does the evil force come in and just screw up everything we just spent, I don't know how many hours creating to get to that blueprint. And it is, it's 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 the dark side. It's it's this concept called resistance. So about four or five years ago, we had the opportunity to be introduced to an absolutely amazing book called The War of Art. And I, I'm going to repeat that, The War of Art. So it's not Sun Tzu's book on the art of war. It the is Stephen Pressfield's book on the war of art. Just a skosh shorter, too. A skosh <laughs> You like shorter. that word? Yes. <laughs> go buy it, please. Do yourself a favor and go buy this book. If you saw my copy, it looks like it might have been a Civil War Bible because it is yellowed and tattered and torn and coffee stains and flags and Post-it notes. And it's one of these books that it just made sense. Like, I, I, I was like, oh, that's, the, that's, that's it. That's the dragon that I've been slaying for all of these years, and the dragon didn't have a name. But its name's Resistance. Its name is Resistance. So tell me more about that. Tell me more about Resistance. What is Resistance? It's that force that pushes back against you, that 
brings the rain on the you know on the sunny day when you've got the party planned. It's all the stuff in your kitchen <laughs> that's going that awry. Breaks. <laughs> that breaks. Yeah, we won't brand. We won't name brands, but give us. I mean, so it it's the things that throw you off course, and sometimes they're very obvious. Yeah, and sometimes they're very subtle. Subtle. I love subtle. We're gonna to have to Sub- change. We're gonna to have to have a whole like glossary for our, our podcast <laughs> with our with our words. Subtle like a sledgehammer, subtle like a feather. Right. So, it, it's the stuff that pushes back that gets you off course. It fights dirty. That's one of the big eye openers that, that Stephen uh, turned us on to. Is it gets you sick? It gets your wife sick. It gets your kids sick. It gets your parents sick. And it sucks the money out of you. It, it does. And it, it does whatever it can do to throw you off course. So resistance is that big force in the universe, kind of like the dark side of the force in our favorite Star Wars trilogy or quadrilogy right. or how many movies they have now. Yeah, there's like 94 96 of them. Star Wars movies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the dark side of our world, dark side of financial planning, money resistance, right? What What comes and derails all this? I mean, an obvious form of resistance is the stock market taking a big old dump on us. Right. Right. Kind of like we've been experiencing with this little coronavirus thing. Right. I mean, it resistance can come in so many different ways. So many different ways. And and some of the more obvious ones, I mean, we're dealing with resistance right now. I mean, we just, you know, not that long ago had Super Bowl weekend. And I love making my snacks for Super Bowl weekend. It's all about the snacks. Yeah. And I, I mean. But, Excuse me. It's all about the chips. Oh. It's all about the chips. It is the number one biggest day of the year for chip sales in the United States. Huh? Super Bowl Sunday. Wow, we should buy some chip stocks before the Super Bowl then. Yeah, for me, it was never about chips. It's it, snacks. It was about snacks. All right. Like mozzarella sticks. Mozzarella sticks. Yeah, and, I, and of course, I'm like- Are you from the East Coast? Of course, I'm from upstate New York. Come okay, on. okay. We, we mozzarella sticks and chicken wings. I mean, yeah. where do they come from? Where you and I grew up. I love my mozzarella sticks. I was dreaming about them like two weeks before the Super Bowl. Oh, I can't wait to have mozzarella sticks. And then I stick them in my oven. Mozzarella sticks are supposed to take like seven minutes in an oven to make. Right. My oven's not working. It hasn't been working. It hasn't been working since Thanksgiving. But Amy and I are trying to make it last. But of course- It's on, on life support? It's on life support. You okay. know, I'm doing CPR on my oven okay. like once a week just yeah. to get it, get it to work. Right. We have to put it on like 475 just to get it at 350. So I, I put my mozzarella sticks in the oven. and You had, I, them, you had them for dessert? Well, I pulled them out. <laughs> I could eat them for appetizer, dinner, and dessert. There we go. They're supposed to take seven minutes. They took 20. I was so upset. So it's resistance not in the form of, not just in the form of you were looking forward to them and couldn't have them at the appropriate time, or the oven itself, which is a, a good, what, three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 repair item or well, replacement item? That's kind of where the resistance showed up was after I was done stomping my feet over how long it took me to get my mozzarella sticks, I actually sat down and went online just to start seeing what it might cost to replace this oven. Amy had been mentioning to me as I was stewing over my mozzarella sticks that, you know, we may have to think about replacing this thing. Oh, money resistance. Here it comes. Yeah, can we not have this conversation, sweetheart, yeah, in the not right of the now. Super Bowl? Not right now. Not while I'm watching a bunch of people who make a lot more money than I do who could probably afford a 1,000 ovens. No, I, I did not want to think about this, but of course I did. And I went online and started looking at what the price of a new oven would cost. Two, three, four thousand dollars is the range for these ovens that you stick in the wall. Stuff just doesn't last anymore. Fancy, uh, fancy phrase for that called planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence. Yeah. Let's get back to uh, the word of the day, which is resistance. (laughs) 
So that is a more direct form, right? It's an obvious the form. The flat tire, the range dies, the, the oven dies, I the, the stuck water my, heater dies. I, say, I should have stuck my mozzarella sticks in your, uh, in your dryer. Or my new washer. Yeah. Your well, new... we, could have gotten, we could have gotten those to like 400 degrees in like six <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Because that that baby is nuclear now. Nice. Yeah, we're gonna actually use it as our fireplace. It's so uh, it's so nice. Don't be surprised if you find some drippy cheese inside uh, one of your pairs Grant of socks one of these days. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. <laughs> so that's the more direct form, but let's try to explain to to our friends the more subtle version of it. What, sure. What do you got there, Stanley? Well, we we teed this up in the last episode. This idea of inflation. Right. Right. What's inflation? What's that mean? That's a pretty big fancy word. We hear it thrown around a lot. What's that mean? That's when the cost of what you want is more in the future than it is today. Cost of stuff going up. The cost of stuff goes up. That's inflation. It's really subtle. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that seems really to happen. Really subtle. That's everything. I mean, if you and I think back to 20, 30, 40 years ago, the cost of stuff was a lot less then than it is today. Yeah, I mean, the more exaggerated examples are like if you talk with a grandparent or a great aunt or a great uncle. And, you know, what an ice cream cone cost, uh, you know, Uncle Henry, when you were little. Well, I, you know, if I got a, a nickel and I'd, you know, I'd make it work and I'd, I'd go to the movies, too. And, you know, OK, that's mm-hmm. a more dramatic, exaggerated example. But you were telling me one the other day about back when you used to send texts uh, to your <laughs> beloved in college. Yeah. When, when Amy and I first went off to college, first of all, college for me cost $6,000 a year when I went away freshman year in 1990. But text messages back then, uh, we, we didn't have these uh, goofy little smartphone thingies where we could just thumb away a, a yeah. message and it's delivered instantly. We, right. A text message back then was I take my pen out, uh, I, I write my words on a piece of paper, I fold Was it like that, in an inkwell and all that? Or? Uh, no, this was a little beyond the inkwell. I actually, you had a big pen. Yeah, in the 90s, we actually were able to carry the ink inside the pen. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty modern times back then. So you actually write your words down. You fold the paper up into this little origami kind of creation that you learned in seventh or eighth grade, but it you know it carried with me. And then you stick it in an envelope. You write the person's address on the front of the envelope, and you stick this thing in the upper right-hand corner of the envelope called a stamp. A stamp. A postage. Was stamp. it like you're in? Oh, a postage stamp. A postage stamp. It's not stamp. like you're in insignia or something. No, a postage stamp. This okay. little, this little thingamajiggy that the U.S. Post Office. You buy it from them, and then they deliver it for you, and that's the cost of delivery. If you want to have a good time sometime when you're kind of bored and you just want to have a private laugh to yourself, hand an eight-year-old an envelope and a stamp, and say, "Please mail this to me," <laughs> and watch them fill out an envelope. It's a completely <sighs> lost. Skill, as is uh, cursive writing, by the way. Absolutely. But thankfully, you and I, I think, have done a really good job teaching our children the value of a handwritten thank you note. Oh, we're trying, man. We're trying. I mean, my kids do know how to, even though they're millennial and Gen Z, they do know how to fill out a thank you note. It is the silver And address bullet. an envelope and put a stamp on it and send it to their grandmas and their grandpas and It is their the silver bullet in life because yeah. who doesn't open a hand-addressed envelope with a stamp on it. Everybody does. And I sure know Amy did back in the day. Because when we went off to college, that's how I sent her my love notes. That's how I sent her my text messages was I would mail her something. And it was usually a nice little note. Roses are red, violets are blue. Yeah, and I can't think of a better thing for you. A better thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, You know how much it cost to do that back then? 
I, I do, but twenty five cents. Sure. What's that cost today? Fifty cents. Huh. So what does that mean? Well, it means if you're keeping score at home, that that went up two. Two percent. That went up a factor of two. Oh, it doubled. It doubled. So uh, my math stinks. Today. So that was twenty five years ago. Yeah, thirty years ago. Thirty years ago. Thirty years ago, we've seen the price of a stamp double in the last thirty years. Yeah, that's about three percent a year. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's pretend. Yeah. Let's pretend we're now retired, and life is. We'll make it real simple. It's going to be real simple. It costs us a thousand dollars a year to live in retirement. It's not going to cost. It's going to cost a lot more than that. But to make the math really simple, yeah. If I retire today on a thousand dollars a year, and we have three percent inflation, thirty years from now, I need two dollars and forty-four cents for every dollar I had the first year I retired. Just to buy the same stuff. Just to buy the same stuff. Not to live any better. So now extrapolate that, another big SAT word today. Yeah. Take that number and apply it to whatever is your number, right? You need 25 grand, 50 grand, 75, 100 grand, okay? Let's use 100 grand. If you need $100,000 a year to live on in retirement, you need $244,000 in order to send that same love letter to Amy with a stamp as you did 30 years ago. Wow. That wow. is the silent killer. Yeah, that's a, a very subtle form of resistance. Yeah, because you don't see it, you don't feel it, but it's there. Yeah. It's there. Well, and the fact is we really have very little control over this thing called inflation, right? I mean, you and I don't set the price of goods in the market. You and I have absolutely no control You're over— wrong. Huh? You're wrong. You're wrong. Oh. You're wrong, because I can buy a forever stamp. Oh. And that price is locked in forever? It's locked in forever. Well, then I just need to stock up on forever stamps and hang on to them for a lot of years. So there okay. you go. That's how you solve that problem. <laughs> Very good. I think the inflation conversation, there's a component of inflation that we do have a little bit more control over. Yes. And in your book, Financial Sobriety, in one of the chapters in the back half of the book, you talk about it uh, at length. And I, this is a really powerful I'd, – I'd never even heard these words before until you, you created them. And that's your, your whole concept on lifestyle inflation. Yeah. This is powerful stuff because this is something you have direct control over. And why don't you share a couple, uh, sing a couple of sonnets for us of uh, life in the fast lane back in the day when, uh, when you weren't aware of lifestyle inflation. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this is the ultimate darkest form of, of resistance that's out there. I mean, this is the stuff that'll— Financial resistance. Oh, financial resistance. This, this lifestyle inflation, I mean, this is probably the single greatest threat to financial security is, is this idea of lifestyle inflation. And, and what it meant to me, and again, I was completely unaware of this stuff. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I wasn't aware of this till I walked in your office in 2005, and we actually sat down and looked at it. But it, it was very simple. It, where I first noticed it kind of looking back was that first job that I had in New York City after I left— trying to be a stockbroker. And I was working for a big mutual fund company in New York City. My paycheck was 25 grand a year. It's $500 a week. Amy and I were living in Queens at the time, and just everything was super tight. We had just enough money to pay our bills, but there was nothing left over at the end of the month. And, and she had a pretty good job, but you know, living in New York's expensive. And between the two of us, we were, we were pulling in about 50 grand a year, and we were barely getting by. And I remember we would sit at home at night and we were just kind of fantasized, like, what would we do if if we got like $1,000 a year more, 
right? Like if I could go from 25 grand to 26 grand or 27 grand a year, what would we do with that? And the last thing we thought of was saving it. Right. Right. It was because you had wants. Yeah. We wanted to enjoy New York City. We wanted to go out and have a drink after work or go to happy hour or maybe even go to a Broadway show one of these days. And so when time came that I actually got that first little pay bump, uh, I was about six months in to this company and they bumped me from 25000 to 28000 a year. So I got a $3,000 raise. $3,000 on $25,000 is north of 10%. Yeah, it was a big raise. So that is a big raise six months into a new gig. Absolutely. It was a huge raise. And so you, you you set all that money aside and you put it in the bank. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. What, <laughs> I, barrel, what barrel did that go we, in? We wouldn't be sitting here today having this conversation if I actually stuck that in a barrel. That's true. Uh-huh. Well, it went in a barrel. It just went in somebody else's big barrel. Like the bourbon was stored in the barrel. Uh Uh-huh. The big barrel. Like those massive barrels, like the ones that elephants stand on. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Those barrels. No, it just, it it let us have fun. It, all of a sudden now we get to go out a little bit. Uh, We get to eat out. Ooh, you know what else we got to do? We didn't have to take the subway at home anymore. We got to take cabs home. Oh, cabs. 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 Oh, come on. A yellow cab is a major upgrade from traveling underground with the, the foul stench that if you've ever experienced a New York City subway back in the early 90s. It, it in could, July. Yeah, it, oh, <laughs> with 103 degrees and humidity, and it was lovely. So to upgrade, to be able to take a cab home instead of the dollar fare on the New York City subway, now we're big swingers. We're, we're taking $10, $15, $20 cab rides. So going back to some of the uh, phraseology that we've used in other episodes, you had a little more freedom. Yes. Well, we felt like we had more You freedom. had a little more freedom, too. And a little more freedom from, right? A little freedom from the subway and a little freedom to a Take cab. a cab. Yellow yeah, cab. And, and actually breathe clean air. It was, it was a nice way to live. I mean, we felt like we were on top of the world. Where the lifestyle inflation really started catching up to us, all Amy and I ever wanted was just a little more room, a little more breathing room. The next pay raise, when that same company moved me out to the West Coast to Seattle, the pay raise went so up So you went quickly. from New York City suburb to, well, New York New York City. New York City. To the suburbs in Seattle. To the suburbs of Seattle. So where, just everybody that's keeping score at home, yes, Seattle is expensive, but it is not New York City expensive, right? So generally, is it fair to say cost of living came down in dollars? At that time, yeah. I mean, the, the cost of living in Seattle started really skyrocketing with the whole dot-com boom, you know, when Amazon was opening up. You know, Microsoft was booming. So, I mean, real estate was starting to get pretty expensive up there. I mean, not compared to the way it is today. Not New York City expensive. Not New York City expensive. So the idea that my income was going up like a hockey stick. So you went from like 28 to 32,000 or like 28 to like 35,000? Like 10x. Oh, my goodness. We went from $28,000 a year working on a sales desk to my first year out in the field making 230,000 bucks a year. Oh my goodness. That is unbelievable. Pretty quickly. Oh yeah. It was like it was life changing. It was life changing. Wow. I thought we had arrived. We were good. We made it. We defeated the dark side. Wow. That's hard to like get my head around is going from scratching and clawing and getting by at twenty eight thousand mm-hmm. to now darn near ten X that mm-hmm. in the span of a year. Mm-hmm. And now we could do and have all the cool stuff we've all... I mean, ah. we used to sit up at night in our little apartment in, in Queens just dreaming about, ooh, what would we do if we could afford a new car? And of course, now with this kind of income, 
not only could we get the car, but we could get the house with the driveway to park it in. So, I mean, how long did it take before you just kind of went absolutely cuckoo with, with lifestyle inflation? Well, pretty, pretty quickly, because when we moved out to Seattle, we brought our little Honda Accord with us, and we got ourselves a little three-bedroom apartment in a beautiful neighborhood on the east side of Seattle, and we immediately started shopping for a second new car for Amy, which we got. We got her a brand new Ford Explorer Eddie Bauer edition with the blue. And Come the, on. I oh, wanted one of those so badly. Oh, with the leather seats. Oh, and, yeah. And it had a CD player. I mean, this was a, a fancy schmancy brand new. That was new, the car back then. 1996 brand new Ford Explorer Eddie Bauer edition. Yeah. Did you go with the uh, the green uh, exterior Eddie no, Bauer? Bl- blue. Oh, blue. It Sorry. was blue. It was like a like an ocean blue. Tan oh, leather. Oh, it was gorgeous. Oh, it was fantastic. We had to have it. And of course, the Honda, I couldn't be bothered with a Honda anymore. It's time to go foreign, time to go German. Oh. That was my introduction to German automobiles. And with now this new German automobile that we were leasing, what happens when you have a more expensive vehicle when it comes to the maintenance? I can't imagine. My $12 oil changes. I was going to say your oil change might have <laughs> gone up a little bit. Became $112 oil changes. Right. And of course, we had to build the big, beautiful house with views out the front and the back. But, you know, when you have a big, beautiful house, you, you, you can't clean that house all by yourself, especially when you're working as hard as I was. So we had to hire cleaning people. So this sounds like a bunch of dominoes are, are all falling in terms of the lifestyle inflation that went with, you know, your your Mr. Jones starter set. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My Mr. Jones starter set was like this nice little compact Ford Explorer Eddie Bauer with a nice three-bedroom apartment in the woods. And then all of a sudden, we expanded it to the multi-pack to now we're in this 3,800-square-foot custom house. And we got two beautiful cars in the driveway that cost us a fortune to maintain. And uh, all this extra money that we were making was right out the window every any month. Any financial pressure, feeling any stress, strain, worry? Can you go back and try to recall what that felt like? Did you did you feel like I've arrived and I'm a rock star? Or oh. did you start feeling, hey, wait a second, what if the J-O-B goes away? Didn't think about that at first. Okay, so that that's nowhere in the in the visual no, frontal no. cortex. No, until the big pop, right? The dot-com bubble of 2000. That was the first time I went, holy cow. That was the first time I actually stopped and paused. Of course, I, I didn't do anything different about it, but for the first time in my life, when that dot-com bubble popped and my sales went from a providing lot. me a lot to nothing and the income wasn't coming in, I had, I had left that last company. I was with a new company now, and I was on the verge of getting fired. The company decided they wanted to blame us for no sales coming in the door. So sales going from a lot to very little. To very little, and and we were all to blame. It wasn't the current environment at all. So all of us, everybody— Overnight, you became bad salespeople. Oh, horrible. And couldn't convince anybody to buy a mutual fund if you gave it to them. Correct. And we had bosses saying, what do you say for yourself? You know, what are you doing every day? You should be out there killing it. It doesn't matter that the stock market's down 40%. Nobody's buying equities right now. Get out there and sell something. That was the first time I sat there and went, wait a minute. I went from making 25 grand a year to making over 200 grand a year, and I've got no more money in the bank, no more 401k savings than I had before. I had no more incremental financial security in my life. I had a ton of cool stuff. A comfort, of, yeah, oh, as we like to say. A lot of comfort, a lot of cool stuff. Right. 
And that was kind of like a two-by-four across the face. That was a holy wow kind of moment. So you did something about it? Uh, yeah. I found a new job. Gotcha. That's what I did. But once you were up on the treadmill of spending and having in cool stuff... I was afraid of losing that. Okay. That's what I was afraid of. The thought that I didn't have savings was like a fleeting moment because I was still so confident in my ability to create income. To earn. Yeah, to earn. That as long as I was earning, we're good. Right? We don't have to worry as about saving. As long as you're earning. As long as I'm earning. You can keep burning. We're good. <laughs> I like that. Ooh, we got to use that. That's a good one. I think we just did use it. We did. I switched jobs. I was like, enough of this. I'm, I'm not going to be here anymore. So I'm going to go find so me a new job. So before you got fired... Yep, before I got fired, you I could found smell, a new job. You could smell the specter of death coming around. Yep, yep. And you're like, I got to parachute out of this place, medevac me out of here, get me, a, get me a new job. And how do you get a new job in the financial services industry when the market's so awful? Uh, you, you leave that side of the world, the, the stock side of the world, the risk side of the world, and you go work for an insurance company. Oh. That's how I wound up at MetLife. Because when things aren't so good in the stock market— it seems like lots of folks like buying stuff with guarantees and those types of insurance-like promises, and, and those things were just starting to take off. So let me go work there, and, and that's how we wound up moving down to Northern California because that was the only place I could find a job. And immediately my income rocketed right back to where I was and really started taking off from there. So here we are in New York City a number of years ago. You were at 25000 You went to 28000 You went to 230000 the market collapses, you go back down to, you remember? I remember borrowing money from my parents just to be able to sell my house in Seattle. Okay, so you we, don't remember we, how much money. We went but... down to, well, my salary at the time was 65000 bucks a year. So we were trying to live on five grand a month. So you went back down to 65000 Which wasn't working too well because I had car payments to make and mortgages to make. And we, that was the first time we borrowed money from my parents just to keep that whole shenanigan afloat. Pivot, go to an insurance company, yep. start selling insurance-based guaranteed products. And income starts going back up? Start making tons of money again. I rescued myself. It was wonderful. And guess what I did? You put most of that in the bank and started filling up the, the now bucket. Eh, wrong, Phil. Try again. Uh, you put some of it in the soon bucket and some of it in the now bucket. Eh, wrong again. Oh. I did start saving in a 401k. That's the only place I saved. But we continued to spend. Now, that's where... We wound up coming to meet you. That's what led us to that moment in 2005. I was making great income. There was no market event. There was nothing going on in, in the market. And at this point, I was oh, making- Oh, yeah, you were making a ton of money. I was north of a half a million bucks a year at this point. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at that point, we can. it's fair to say the lifestyle inflation was just out of control. Oh, oh obscene. Just complete obscenity. All right, so let's- I should have been taken out in shackles and flogged. <laughs> let's- <laughs> Let's try to bring it back down to a practical level. If someone's listening to this, they have their own story that you know yeah. concerns them. They're worried about their lifestyle inflation or maybe that of one of their relatives or a loved one. Where would you start as, I won't say ground zero, but what, what, what's step one? I mean, what, yeah. what would you do to, to help somebody right the ship? Yeah, no, great question. And I mean, this concept of lifestyle inflation is definitely our Darth Vader, right? This is the this is the dark side of the force, and and we got to defeat this thing. And 
learning from my story so that it doesn't take so long to figure this out, you know, if we if if I can just help one person accelerate their awareness, right? And and that's really where this starts is what what I like to call the the AAA approach to defeating lifestyle inflation. Say it again slowly. The AAA approach. AAA. AAA. Not insurance. Not the car company that's going to fix your flat when you're on the side of the road. AAA. AAA approach to defeating our darkest money resistance, lifestyle inflation. Okay. That, that, I got it. That first A. I got it. That first A is awareness. A is for Apple. Nope. In this oh, case, sorry. it's for awareness. Awareness. We'll have apples after we're done. Okay. But this one's awareness. Awareness was not something I had the gift of for a long, long time. It didn't come until we sat down in 2005. There's awareness. You're getting awareness. Yeah, right? absolutely. You've got, you've got some itch that you're trying to scratch. You're just you're kind of wondering what the heck is financial sobriety. So awareness is where that's step one. Got it. Right. Just just become aware. A little writing exercise, and and you helped me with this because we did this. The way I was able to kind of jog my memory on all these little pay raises that I squandered on stuff and comfort and all that was because I started writing about it. But do you remember what happened? what I was doing to myself as I was becoming aware of all this? I most certainly do. What was I doing? Uh, you said it a little while ago. You were flogging yourself. <laughs> I was out back. You were beating yourself up <sighs> to oblivion. I was so angry at myself. So angry. I, well, I was... So angry. I was ready to drive head on into a Mack truck. I was so angry at myself. Yes. That was an ugly time. That is a very serious conversation that is captured both in this podcast and is the, in, in the, the book. book as well. Yep. And if anybody is feeling that way, listening to this, what we're talking about, and you're having those very thoughts, please do something safe. Please, Absolutely. Please open up to a loved one. Please do whatever you need to do to not make that happen. That awareness is step one. Step two is acceptance. Here's what I mean by that. Don't judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah, but you I, did that so naturally. I did, and and it was it caused, like, the greatest amount of pain. And, and you know, I still screw up. I still screw up. I still fall off the financial sobriety wagon. But what I don't do is I don't beat myself up anymore because it's in the past. There's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is accept that it happened. And because I'm now aware- Right the ship. I can do step three, which is action. That's the third A. I can take different action going forward. Go to the mall? I could with my tax return, as long as in the mall- they have a little Charles Schwab office that I could slip a little envelope gotcha. in and make a deposit into gotcha. my retirement account, right? Action. Action. And we're going to talk a lot about this acceptance thing in, in coming episodes. When we get into that relationship with self, this is really where the financial sobriety thing meant a lot to me was just getting good with my past and, and being able to forgive myself and get beyond just hating on myself for all those bad choices I made. All I want to do is help accelerate that healing process for people a little bit. When you look at the action, that third triple A, I couldn't change all the crappy decisions I made in the past with my pay raises, with my tax returns, with the birthday money my Nana would send me. I mean, I, I blew all that. Sure. But I still have the next pay raise, the next tax return, the next birthday that my Nana sends me a check. And what I do with that going forward can be completely different with what I did for 25 years before. So we're going to take a different action. We're going to take a different action. We're not going to go to the mall unless, of course, there's a bank branch there that I can deposit the money in. The tax return, the bonus, the pay raise, the birthday gift. Yeah. Doing something different. Yeah. And I like to 
interject that it's it doesn't necessarily have to be an all or a none. Right. There can be a little there bit. Can be, there can be partials here. Sure. Right. So one of my favorite books is The Richest Man in Babylon. Oh yeah. And that Good old is Mr. A, Clayson. That Classen, is a Clayson. Yeah. How do you pronounce his name? Mm. George Classen. Classen, I believe it is. Classic. <laughs> it's all about paying yourself first. And we've talked about this in past episodes. We'll talk about it more. But just take some of that money. And here's here's something goofy that I do. I like cash. And I, I don't mean cash in the bank. I mean actual dead presidents Oh, in my hand. And I was given a money clip I a number of years ago. I hope you're not holding Taft in your hand because that would be pretty heavy. <laughs> True. <laughs> and I collect hundreds and fifties. Where do you keep those? Yeah, sure. Just I'm going to tell that I, on the podcast. I won't tell anybody. Yeah, it's sure. a secret between you and me. Absolutely. Where do you, where do you keep those? Hey, I'll tell you where it is. Okay, thanks. I like cash. If I have that happen, I like to take a little bit of cash and put it in my my actual piggy bank. Yeah. More often than not, that money goes to some kind of a family vacation. Yeah. And it's the walk around money when we're on vacation. Kids want to go get something. I'll I'll rip off a fifty and I'll feel like a big spender. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you go buy yourself something. Yeah, go buy yourself something. Bring me my change. Right. So you can do, you can take different actions to just squirrel away some of it and still have some fun with yes. some of it. If yes. you're working hard and you're working hard to get a raise and you're working hard to get a bonus, I think it's pretty righteous and irresponsible of us to think that people aren't going to do anything fun with that money. Yeah. Let's just plan for it though. Right. That, I mean, a little that's, mindful awareness. Yeah. Mindful of being intentional with our money. Ooh. Oh, that's a line we should like use. That one? We should. I think I might have written about it before. Okay. I'm cheating a little bit. I've used it before. But the, this idea of being intentional. So Amy and I have already sat down and come up with a game plan of... Buying a better travel trailer? Of buying a better travel trailer. <laughs> well, we've got some repairs in the house. We've got an oven we need to fix. And we have some backyard messes we got to clean up. With some pay raises, there's going to be a little money that goes in the bank a little money that goes into the house, and then a little money that goes in our pocket. But it's intentional, and it's something that's planned, and it's not something that we're just going to decide impulsively when the money shows up, hey, let's go on a killer trip to Italy and blow it all in one shot. Awesome. So let's recap this for everybody. So we're going to take it back up to the top. Inflation, inflation, inflation. And the story is all about inflation, but actually we even talked about resistance. Resistance. Yeah, the the dark side of the force. The dark side of the force and how that can... There you go. Hopefully we're not paying for that sound effect. <laughs> that that resistance can show up in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's right in our face. Yeah. Right. Everybody's going to remember your mozzarella story because as soon as the show's over, we got to go find some because I'm I'm starving for that's mozzarella sticks. The, that's the Tommy Boy two by four oh, right across yeah, the face. Exactly. And then this whole concept of lifestyle inflation is going to be a it's going to be a new phrase. It's going to be a new label for something that people already know. Right. It's well, we're creating the awareness. We've done 401k meetings with with employees for the push in 20 years. My challenge to them has always been the same: keep raising the amount of money you put into your 401k every time you get a raise. Mm-hmm. If you get a six percent raise for for doing great work, take two percent of it, put it in your K plan. Mm-hmm. You can't feel a two percent pre tax distribution coming out of your pay t- paycheck. You can't you can't feel it. All those kinds of little subtle things, right, in terms of how to fight this battle of resistance, how to fight the battle of lifestyle inflation, we're introducing a concept to them that people are very aware of. And you had the triple A, call yeah, it again? Yeah, the triple A approach the to defeating, AAA approach. To defeating the, the darkest enemy, which is the, the part of inflation that we have some control over. 
and it's this lifestyle inflation part. And step one was? Step one is awareness, becoming aware. Step two is acceptance. Don't beat yourself up. I've been there. And it, does, it doesn't do any good to beat yourself it, up. It doesn't. It keeps you it, it keeps kept you stuck. Me, it kept me stuck for a long time because the third step, action, is what can really make a difference going forward. We've said it before, and we will say this a thousand times. It's one of my favorite things you've ever said to me. If the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, the next best time is today. That's a wrap for this episode of Your Financial Sobriety. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com, for more information and upcoming events, like our two-day live event that we'll be hosting in October 2020 here in Sacramento, California. Thanks again for listening today, here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance.